The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I've delayed starting this podcast for 20, 30, 40 minutes, and I don't really know entirely why. I just... Something different about today, whether it's the passing of Norm MacDonald, which absolutely sucks. I know it has nothing to do with basketball, but it still sucks. Or the fact that my oldest kid went back to preschool today after two weird summer breaks, a whole bunch of things that you guys don't care about. I don't know. It's, it's that darn thing. And I'm sure you guys all experience it as well, guys and gals, where you finally have a day where you have some time and you just, you can't, the pressure is off. Most days I have to get eight hours of work done in four hours. And so I'm like racing. And today I have like six hours to get eight hours of work done. And in my mind, that's like, okay, well, you can screw around for two of those six hours. But it's time to get into the show. Welcome to the pod, everyone. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. That, of course, at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter. Make sure to give them a follow. Hoop-Ball.com is the website. Strong recommendation on the Twitter handle. Strong recommendation. That's where you'll be getting all of your breaking news all season long. Fantasy breakdowns accompanying the breaking news. I can be found on Twitter. If you can spell my name, you can find me, at Dan Bespris, or you can just Google search Dan from HoopBall. That is the easiest one. Easier than trying to figure out what Bespris actually looks like when it's written out. Should have gone by Dan Walter. My middle name is Walter. Should have gone by Dan Walter all these years, but it's too damn late now because, you know, a couple thousand of you guys follow me on Twitter, and I guess that makes it too late. Today's orders of business, we had one we had to add to the docket. We were going to continue our Yahoo, and we still will, the exploration of the Yahoo pre-rank list. We got through the top 25 on yesterday's podcast, but also we had breaking news earlier today that John Wall is done in Houston. This is a less uh, animus, less animus in this likely departure than with the James Harden stuff where things turned sour. James let himself become quite plush and kind of forced the hand of the Rockets. Harden did not use the quarantine to run on a treadmill. Presumably, John Wall's taken the opposite tack because with Harden, he knew he could do anything he wanted. He is, will remain, for at least the foreseeable future, one of the best offensive players in the NBA, and not actually a nearly as bad a defender as folks would like you to believe. With John Wall, he still has a ton of proving left to do, and with $90 million over two years remaining on his contract, he can't get away with the stuff that Harden did. So this one makes uh, certainly more sense from a basketball standpoint. John Wall... Came back last year, played kind of enough, they believe at least, to convince someone else to take a chance on him. I just, admittedly, I'm not the best salary cap guy. I don't fully understand how you can make a trade like this fit. Presumably, you could do something like what the Lakers did with Russell Westbrook, where you give up a whole bunch of contracts all rolled together because you got to get that to match. But who wants to take on two years of John Wall? When, listen, maybe there's, 
an exec out there that saw what he did last year and thought that's good enough for the fantasy players among us that, I mean, we watch these guys so closely. I would never deign to state that we can evaluate talent better than an NBA front office. Although sometimes I think really good fantasy players do actually do a better job of that, especially with up and comers, DeAnthony Melton, Rashawn Holmes, anyone. But in this instance, Maybe I'm by myself on this. Maybe you guys disagree, and I'd love to hear from you. If you do, I'm more than willing to listen to arguments. I wasn't impressed with John Wall last year. He was in and out of the lineup constantly, which we kind of figured would be the case. Dude hadn't played in almost two full years of actual calendar time. And when he did, I mean, his his efficiency last season was absolutely atrocious. He was Russell Westbrook, but with no efficiency at all. And fewer rebounds. None of the... Doesn't hit his free throws. Doesn't hit his shots. Still has some speed, I guess. But, like, who's going to take a chance on that? That's the type of contract that could just blow up a team for two years. It's a bad ROI type of move. But presumably someone out there is going to want to take a chance on it. I just... I have a bad feeling this is going to go the way of the Kevin Love, where someone's just going to sit there for a while. John Wall's just not going to play, maybe all year. And to the fantasy end, wherever he ends up, his role will be smaller than it was last season in Houston, which is saying something because last season in Houston, his fantasy numbers were hot garbage. Hot garbage, ladies and gentlemen. I can sell you a bag of hot garbage if you'd so desire. He was number 170 in nine category leagues. He played in 40 out of 72 ball games, averaging 21 points. Okay, that's pretty good. Seven assists. Yeah, that's fine. 1.9 defensive stats, actually not bad. But high volume, 40% from the field. Medium volume, 75% at the free throw line. High turnovers, low rebounds. There's a lot of efficiency stuff that would need to get ironed out with John Wall before he gets even close to nine-category fantasy value. However, and I said I would do a better job of addressing this on the podcast, he is a very interesting points league fantasy guy because he's truly awful in the three categories that points leagues don't really value properly. Percentages, which almost many points leagues, they're not valued at all. Some of them you'll see a slight demerit for missed shots, but many nothing. And then turnovers, which, yeah, they're often a slight negative, but usually they don't even come close to counterbalancing the positives of a guy who just has the ball and makes erratic decisions all game long. Doesn't matter. Who cares if he throws it away four times? He's taking 18 bad shots. Sorry, I don't mean to pick on John Wall. I'm actually kind of happy that he was able to come back and play half a season and look like reasonable, better than the other Rockets, which isn't saying a lot, but it's something. He's back out on the court. I don't know. I've never been a huge John Wall fan, but you always root for guys, especially coming off of injury. You have to. But we also have to be ruthless in our fantasy analysis of these players, and he was bad last year. Outside of points leagues, he was really, really bad. You basically had to punt three categories for John Wall to be a fantasy value. If you punted field goal percent, he got into the useful category, but still not good, just inside the top 100 if you were punting field goal percent. If you punted field goal and free throw percent, now he's number 82. 
<laughs> I mean, listen to that. And if you bundle all three of the ones we were talking about, he's number 48. Percentages and turnovers, he moves inside the top 50. So you, you have a top 50 points league kind of guy, potentially ending up somewhere, we don't know, who is basically not at all useful or will be wildly overdrafted in any other format. Well, sorry, I'm not in on John Wall. And now, not knowing where he's going, I mean, there's rumors kicking around so far. It feels like, it feels like the, uh, the stuff that we're seeing of where he might go, things like, I think we've heard the Clippers, we've heard the Pistons. I, like, I don't understand any of this. this. This feels like agents doing their typical story planting to try to drum up a market for a dude. I really legitimately have no idea where John Wall ends up this year. And if I was setting Vegas odds on the thing, I would put the heaviest odds that he just doesn't play until February at almost maybe the earliest. And even then, I don't know. He might just sit out the whole year and earn $45 million. He might. Do not draft. I don't think you can draft him in any format, even points leagues, because you don't know where he's going to end up and you don't know when. You can't draft an injured guy to start the year. Yes, I know that in points leagues, he's a top 50 type of guy, but with that big umbrella of who knows hanging over him. This isn't even like an injury where there's a timeline. Hey, you want to draft Clay Thompson? I would say don't, but at least you know they're targeting two months into the season. John Wall could be two weeks. He could be three and a half months. He could be never. You might sit on that unknown for six months. You could be sitting on a goose egg the whole damn year. He could end up being one of the worst things to happen to a fantasy team if you just take a, an empty roster spot for an entire season. That's unbelievably uh, handicapping for yourself. Hey, if you've been beating everybody by 20 games, fine, do it. Like, tell everybody else they get 14 roster slots and you only get 13, because that could be what happens. On the other side of this equation, you actually have the Houston Rockets roster, which we were saying just a few short weeks ago, this is a roster that needs some addition by subtraction to take place, and we just got some. This is a big subtraction. This is the biggest usage guy on the team from last year. The guy who took, as I just mentioned ago, 18 shots per game, had seven assists, and took five free throws a night. Three and a half turnovers on top of that. This guy had the ball in his hands, John Wall, for large portions. I mean, if he was in the game, he was basically the guy in charge of the offense. This now, and this is a big deal, solidifies Kevin Porter Jr. as the point guard on this team. I always had that question kicking around in my head. If John Wall's going to play this year and Kevin Porter Jr. is going to slide up to shooting guard, that would push Jalen Green up to small forward. That pushes Jay Sean Tate up to power forward. Christian Wood at center, which leaves guys like Kenyon Martin Jr. coming off the bench, Daniel Tice coming off the bench. What other young guys were they trying to get into the mix this year? Well, they drafted... Uh, the uh, the big guy, Sengun, I may be messing up his name. He's another rook that they took. This is uh, this is really good for a lot of players on the Rockets because it, it not that it necessarily crystallizes what guys are going to do because they have so many young players that they want to get into the lineup and it's going to be just a, an absolute cluster mess at times. But it it frees up 
minutes and it frees up usage in an enormous way. I would say that a pretty good exercise would be to go to Kevin Porter Jr.'s game log from last year. And he only played in 26 games with the Rockets last season after being uh, called up from the G League, 23 of them as a starter. Averaged 32 minutes a ball game. So, you know, that stuff is pretty good from his perspective. Like, there, there were good things going on. But his games were pretty closely tied to whether John Wall was in the starting lineup. KPJ, and maybe we'll just call him Kevin for now, Kevin, remember, he had a 50-point ball game. 50 points, 5 boards, 11 assists. He went 9 for 11 at the free throw line that game. 9 of 15 from downtown. That was that big one against Milwaukee. And, I mean, I, th- I, think, you can, I think you can guess whether or not John Wall played that night. I don't think it's a question mark at all. In fact, the starting lineup that game was Kevin Porter Jr. Armani Brooks was the starting shooting guard. Jayshon Tate at the 3 Christian Wood, the four, and Kelly Olynyk was the starting five. Kenyon Martin Jr. came off the bench. Played about 20 minutes that ballgame. And then you can look at some other games for uh, Porter late last year. And you can probably also make a pretty accurate assessment of whether or not John Wall played in those ball games. I mean, it's, never, it's not going to be a one-to-one correlation, but certainly he was a much larger factor when Wall was out, because he was going to be the guy tasked with initiating the offense. This is all a way of saying that this is really good news for Kevin Porter Jr. It's, it's good news for everybody, but I kind of want to work through them piece by piece here, just make sure we're covering things in the proper detail. Kevin, as I just mentioned we were going to call him, Kevin shot 42.5% from the field. I see absolutely no reason why that number should go up this year as his role solidifies someone who's going to be taking a ton of shots. Remember, he shot 44% with Cleveland his rookie year in a much lower usage role, someone who is going to be uh, presumably taking better shots. He's a 73% foul shooter, and he'll get to the line three, four, maybe even five times a game, depending on how much he's playing this season, presumably a lot. He's not that dissimilar from John Wall. In the note of, this is not a guy who hits his free throws. This is not a guy who hits his shots. This is a guy who needs copious usage to be a fantasy-relevant basketball player. And I can promise that in redraft leagues, nine-category leagues, and maybe even eight-category leagues, he's a guy who's going to get overdrafted. Yeah, he's going to have a huge role this year. And maybe he does do enough from a usage perspective to overcome the percentages shortcomings. But I would remind all of you guys that as much as you might love Kevin Porter Jr. and the 50-point game is going to make a lot of people love Kevin Porter Jr. Last 10 games of last season, John Wall basically wasn't there. In fact, I think he did sit out all of those. Kevin Porter, in those ball games. And, I mean, we can find him probably much more simply by punting a couple of things. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr., in his last 10 ballgames, averaged 35 minutes a game, 19.6 and a half assists, but 
15 shots a game, 42.5% from the field. He did get his free throw number up to 78% over that stretch. High turnovers, decent three-pointers, very few defensive stats, by the way. Also something we need to keep in mind. Points leagues? Yeah, I mean, just like John Wall, you can kind of have at it a little bit here because he's going to be going crazy and he's going to have the freedom to do almost anything he wants on a team that's hoping to lose 65 ball games this year. But nine category leagues? This guy's going to get drafted early and someone is going to regret it. They're going to watch his numbers every night and they're going to be like, sweet, 22 and 7. But they're totally going to ignore the fact that it took him 21 shots to get there. They're, they're going to see the three three-pointers and they're going to celebrate, but they're not going to realize he went two for six at the foul line that night with four turnovers and one steal. Fantasy basketball is about strategy. You can punt, and a guy like him, he makes a lot more sense. But when you know already that he's going to be one of the biggest buzz guys going into the season, even this John Wall news, while it does help him, He's gonna, his ADP is going to move earlier because of this news. He was already a hype guy, and it's just going to get worse. I'll tell you, the guys on this Houston team that I'm actually more excited about, and now slightly even more so because of the John Wall thing, is, look, if Kevin Porter Jr. now slides down to play point guard, and Jalen Green can slide down and play shooting guard, which I think is probably his position anyway, could have played small forward. Young guy, but could have played small forward. Now, you have two forward slots. One of them's probably going to be Jay Sean Tate. Probably small forward. Although, eh, yeah, I guess Kenyon Martin Jr. is a little bit bigger. It's not, it's close. Tate, I think, might be a little more stout. In any event, those two guys are basically interchangeable at probably the three and the four. Or, does Houston want one veteran presence in their lineup? And I only call him that because he's just older, even though he hasn't been in the league really any longer than the other guys. They could go Daniel Tice at the five, Wood at the four, if they wanted to. I don't fully understand the Daniel Tice signing in Houston. He's 29. He came into the NBA late. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but, I mean, we are where we are with that one. Presumably, they brought him in to kind of be a a guiding force with a very young team, so he's going to have to be on the court at some point. I would assume that not all of John Wall's minutes are going to be fed to other guards. It it does seem like this is going to allow the Rockets to play a little bit bigger. I don't. I actually don't think Sengun's going to play all that much this year. We'll see about that, I guess. But uh, they brought in Tice. They've got Christian Wood. The big man, big men spot are are basically locked in. If Kenyon Martin plays some power forward minutes, that's great. If Jay Sean Tate ends up sliding up and plays a few, that's fine. Also. I, I think this is actually really good news for Tate and Martin. Tate was someone I was a little bit worried about when they brought in, when they drafted Jalen Green. How does this impact the guy that they actually had in some Rookie of the Year votes last year? Tate was so good, particularly with steals and field goal percent. Can he fix his free throw shooting? One would hope so. But a few more shots goes a long way for these guys. And shots are going around now with no John Wall. So, yeah, it's good news for Kevin Porter Jr., but is it enough? I don't think so. He has these massive, massive holes in his fantasy game. And I I can already tell you how this is going to go. He's going to bust out of the gate with like a 35-point game in their second game of the year, and all of you guys are going to come from my head on Twitter, and I'm going to say, just wait. And then by February, we're going to look, and he's going to be like number 125, 
because he gets no defensive stats and his percentages are killing people. And you're going to be like, oh, okay, thanks, Dan. So I guess, I mean, if you wanted to go uh, Kevin Portier and hope he has a giant first week and then flip him, be my guest, but that's too much damn work. You know, I don't trust Rooks, so I'd rather go the second-year route with guys like Tate, Porter. Christian Wood scares me a little bit. I hope he gets his free-throw stroke back. He's going to get the freedom to do whatever he wants, but this is, of course, a team that's ripe with shutdown candidates, and he is banged up enough and, frankly, old enough at 25, weirdly, to get games off down the stretch. I don't know. And Tate's 25, too, by the way. Uh, Kenny Martin Jr., just 20. Those, do, those guys have more to play for. They want contracts. They want playing time. That stuff is all not guaranteed to them. Anyone you draft on Houston in a head-to-head league is a risk. I think Tate Porter are probably the least risky in addition to the rookie. And possibly Kevin Porter Jr., depending, although, you know, we've seen him banged up from time to time. So the young guy's not as big of a, a shutdown risk as, you know, like a Wood who's been around for a few years and his ankle was a, a gross mess last season. Or Tice, who they brought in to be a veteran. Three-year deal? Didn't they give him a three-year deal or was it four? It was a lot. It was too many <laughs> on a team that's going into a maximum rebuild. But that's where I stand with the Houston stuff. I think you got values possibly more at the forward position than the guards because of that trickle-down effect. Everybody's going to be looking at the guards, and it's going to be the underdrafted wing types that will actually get the boost that maybe isn't quite reflected in the players' ADPs. Midway point of the podcast today is a wonderful opportunity to remind you guys that we are recruiting here at HoopBall. If you'd like to be a member of the HoopBall team, whether it's podcasting, writing, DFS, full season, gambling, whatever, if you've got a skill and a passion, hit me up at Dan Bespris on Twitter or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Also, please take 90 seconds to go drop a five-star review on the podcast and subscribe whatever service you might be using to listen to the show. That is a critical, critical thing for us at this time of year. I will be reminding you of that every single day. Please, I literally beg of you to hit the subscribe button and drop a nice five-star review on Fantasy NBA Today. I will love you forever for that. Uh, And... Please pay attention to this one. If you tuned out my last couple of promos, this is a new one. It's for you guys as opposed to for us here at HoopBall. HoopBall Leagues are open once again. Yes, the return of HoopBall Leagues. HoopBall listeners, readers, Twitter followers, pros from HoopBall, maybe even some pros from other sites, all gather in our annual HoopBall Leagues. They are hosted through Fantrax. My good buddy Andre is in charge of getting you placed in them. If you'd like to be in a HoopBall League, if you've been in one before, you should actually check your email because we sent out a renewal note and maybe like half of you have actually responded to it. If you'd like to be in one and you didn't get an email, meaning you're relatively new to the process, Twitter is the way to go or email. You can email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com asking to get into a HoopBall League or just tweet at me, at Dan Bespris. Say, Dan, I want to get in a hoop ball league. I'll get you linked up with Andre, and we'll get you placed. We've got cash leagues. we got free leagues. we got head-to-head. we got roto. we got some dailies. we got some weeklies. A lot of cool choices. Last year, I think we had 22 hoop ball leagues running. This year, we're shooting for more. Hit me up. Again, join them. Hoop ball leagues open now. 
Draft coming in a little under a month, if I'm not mistaken. I've forgotten the exact date on it. I'm sure Andre will yell at me after the show, and rightfully so. Uh, but I think the draft is like around somewhere between October 5th and 12th, somewhere in that neck of the woods. So we still have a little bit of time here. But uh, get on in there, have some fun, play against some really good competition. Because these are people that follow hoopball, so they know what they're doing. It's a good way to test yourself. It's a lot of fun. Let's jump back into the Yahoo stuff. Stuff, don't want to re- leave it alone for too long today, but we had that breaking trade news to get into. It'll cut down how many players we can get through on today's show, but you know what? I don't care. Things that need to be discussed. That's the order we do things here on Fantasy NBA Today. Yesterday, we left off at LaMelo Ball. He was number 25, 26 on Yahoo's pre-ranks is Chris Paul, who, despite his, I think, much more accurate pre-rank, finally, Yahoo moved him up the board around this season. By the way, also pretty surprising because he's a high percentages guy. He's a very efficient one. Those are the dudes that tend to get slightly downgraded. And maybe he's still ever so slightly undervalued. I just, I can't trust him the way I have in seasons past. So I actually like the Yahoo ranks this year. He might beat him. He really might. Uh, And he has two seasons in a row. We've been able to completely clean up on the Chris Paul between 30 and 40 rankings, generally late 30s that Yahoo's had the last couple of seasons. He's been a first rounder by totals two years in a row. He was number 18 by averages on a per game basis. I don't see a reason why his numbers should change all that much. He could very easily be a second rounder per game again this year. I just see no reason why he would need to play all but two of Phoenix's ball games this year. They proved that they're a solid playoff team. They made it to the damn finals after all. Yes, they got extraordinarily lucky playing the Lakers without Anthony Davis and a 75% power LeBron James. They got lucky with Kawhi Leonard going down uh, before their series. But it doesn't matter. They're a good basketball team. They're a good basketball team. So they don't need to rack up a crap ton of regular season wins. I think they probably feel comfortable giving Chris Paul some nights off here and there. He might try to fight his way into the lineup, but there just isn't a reason after the deep playoff run and the shortened offseason why he should push himself this year. So I expect Chris Paul to be down around a dozen games missed or so this season, somewhere in that neck of the woods, which means that... If you think he's a mid-second rounder, that's kind of more his upside now. And if he's getting drafted here early third round, perhaps that means there's still a tiny bit of value left with him, but it's a lot less than the last couple of years where he wanted to show he was healthy, he wanted to carry teams to the playoffs and show what his game could still do, and he was extraordinarily healthy. In addition, it's pretty rare that a guy beats his ADP on a per-game basis and... Is, is perfectly healthy, but that's what we got. Demonis Sabonis at number 27 for uh, Yahoo this year, this last season. Sabonis was number 26, missed 10 ball games. He should be relatively similar year over year. I think this is a pretty safe place to take him as a third rounder. I'd rather not take him at the beginning of the third round because I think you kind of price yourself out. He probably misses 10, 11 ball games again this year. Indy's going to be fighting. They're going to be fighting. TJ Warren being out means that there just really isn't much in the way of changes season to season. So a pretty predictable fantasy player at this point, I think, Sabonis, and you get what you get. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they, uh, Yahoo has him only missing 11 ball games this year. I'm pretty worried about him getting closed out towards the end of the year again. 
Number 28 is real high for a dude who actually took a step backwards this last year. He's number 55 by averages. It's weird, too, to think 24 points, five boards, six assists, two three-pointers, like decent foul shooter, good field goal percent, not a ton of steals. He was just pretty good at a lot of stuff. It seemed like he should have been better. Does he continue to improve? I, I truly don't know. This feels like where he was supposed to be, maybe steals and blocks get a little bit better. But when you don't think someone's going to play every game all season and they dramatically underperformed the previous year to where they're going again, I don't, I don't know how we make this argument. This is a tough one for me to swallow. It's too early for me. Freddie Van Vliet at number 29. That's way too late if you think he's going to actually survive this season. Van Vliet was number 16 on a per-game basis last year. He missed 20 ball games, which factored into things, I think, pretty heavily. Maybe that's why he's been bumped down so far. But even with the 20 missed ball games last year, he was still number 35 in what I might call kind of a worst-case scenario. So the fact that he's going at 29 and the bottom is maybe a half a round below that, that's a pretty easy one. I bet his ADP goes earlier than this as we work towards the season. There's not going to be an analyst on the planet that has him this far down the board. Chris Middleton, number 30. Um, I'm a little surprised, actually. I thought that he would go lower. He was one of those dudes that we talked about. I said, I think he'll probably be a draft day value again this year. And I might be wrong about that because I was just guessing on public opinion. He was number 18 by totals last year, only missed four games all season long. He was uh, number 41 on a per-game basis, and I figured he would probably go pretty close to that 40 range again. But the fact that he's going at 30 really takes a lot of the shine off of Middleton. I don't think he's going to play all but four games after their championship run. I would assume he misses somewhere between 7 and 12 this year. So he's going to have to be better or really close to his his uh, ADP in in per-game numbers because I don't think his durability is going to be the thing that elevates him two rounds again this season. So that this is a surprise. I thought he'd go later, and I'm going to probably have to adjust my board, my expectation, my buckets. He was someone I was thinking I would probably be able to move down in my buckets, and now it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. DeAndre Ayton at number 31. Uh, I actually really like this spot for Ayton. He was 44 on a per-game basis, played in 69 out of their 72 ball games. I'd be more worried about his durability uh, off the, the finals run if he was older, but he's not, and he got better as the season went on in his game, in his mental makeup. He said Chris Paul totally changed the way he looked at the basketball game. I see no reason why he shouldn't cruise along inside the top 40 on a per-game basis, and if he hits league average in games played, which I think he will. He looks like someone who's basically going to go out there and play most nights. He should get to about this rank, maybe a little bit better. Michael Porter Jr. at 32. That one it feels pretty good to me, actually. He was um, he was actually in this neck of the woods slightly better than this on a per-game basis last year. That's with COVID mixed in. No Jamal Murray. He should be... He should be really good this coming season. That's a pretty easy one. Yeah, I think his ADP will be earlier than 32, though. This is a number you'll see climb as you get closer to your actual draft day. Maybe that's a reason to draft now. 
Christoph Porzingis at 33, frightfully early to say K- to see KP's name on a board. This is Yahoo getting kind of aggressive with a guy that I don't think people really want to draft. Uh, I don't think you even can draft him in a head-to-head league. Frankly, he's going to miss too many damn ball games. Uh, his ADP is 48 right now, so you can see Yahoo's pre-ranks really aren't doing the trick with him. The the ADPs of guys right now are, you know, more in line with what diehards are doing, which is diehards are going to say, look, I don't trust Christoph Porzingis. I'm in a Gamescap Roto League. I can take him here, I guess. But I'm in head-to-head. I'm just not going to draft him at all. Roto, I love it. Roto Gamescap, go for it, man. He'll play 65, 64 ball games this year, but he'll do it at a top 20 clip. So screw it. Go nuts, man. He, his fantasy game is, is terrific. His body just can't handle it. Christian Wood at number 34, that's too early for me, coming off of the second half he put together last year. He's a fat enigma. Not overweight. Just the enigma itself is quite robust. We really don't know which Christian Wood we're going to get, and I'm not willing to spend a third rounder on anyone with that kind of stat set question mark. You know me. My My first, second, and third rounders, I almost always go... For durable, and if it's not durable, it's going to be someone who can cover one eye, tie one arm behind their back, run backwards on the basketball court. Yeah, I like to do everything in reverse on today's podcast and still beat their ADP on a per-game basis. That's like the Chris Paul thing. I didn't think he was going to play 70 games last year, but I knew damn well he was going to beat his ADP on a per-game basis. That was a cakewalk. I don't know who we've talked about so far that really fits that. Maybe Freddie Van Vliet is probably that kind of thing. Massive injury risk, but should be able to cakewalk past his ADP in per-game production. That's the one, That's like the one... There, there are a handful of, of rare ones where I would venture away from durable in the first couple of rounds. Never in the first round, frankly. Donovan Mitchell at 35. This one feels pretty good to me. His per-game number is going to be behind that. His durability is probably going to be in front of that. He was 46 per game last year he'll probably replicate that and then you hope that he makes it through the season healthy i think i'd rather probably go a little bit later on donovan but you're not going to be able to people love donovan mitchell his adp is 29 so he's actually going earlier than this in many leagues and uh, i don't think i would take him earlier than this same story with devin booker he wouldn't i wouldn't take him earlier than this either he was much worse actually than donovan mitchell and he's not getting any better with the team around him Devin Booker was number 75 last year. It wasn't close either. It wasn't like there was a hot stretch that almost pushed him up the board. He was just that guy the whole season. Good percentages, good scoring. The end. No. Going way too early. Booker way too early. His ADP is 29 and a half. The hell? What's going on around me right now? Feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Rudy Gobert at number 37. Yes, please. Rudy Gobert was number 21 on a per-game basis, played in 71 out of 72 ball games. He was a first-rounder easy last season by totals. He was number 7. I've never wanted to swear on the podcast as much as I do right now. I'm going to hold it back. But what the... Is he doing at 37? You're basically predicting that he's going to miss 25 games with a catastrophic ankle injury or something like that. 
Nothing else makes sense. Weird thing here is that Yahoo's got him playing 76 ballgames this year. What on earth could create this logical flipperoo? They've got him playing 76 games, averaging two and a half blocks per game, just like last year. He was at 2.7. Field goal percent, free throw percent. They didn't make any adjustments to his projections almost at all, and yet they bumped him down by a round and a half on per game numbers and took a few games away off his actual season total games played list. Fine. I mean, I'm okay, actually, with expecting him to play a few games less. 82 games is tough to get through. And maybe he doesn't play in all of them, kind of like he did last year. But, huh? Miles Turner at 38. This one makes sense because it's built uh, a bit more heavily on the injury stuff. Turner much better than 38 on a per-game basis, but can't really make it through a season. Damn shame. He was having himself quite a year before he got hurt last season. He was amazing. Man, was he dunking on people. Um... I'm probably not willing to take the Miles Turner plunge in the third round. We're now just getting into the fourth, I guess. I might be convinced, depending on who I got in the first three rounds, if I desperately need blocks at this point, you could take a swing in the fourth round and hope that you've got that joint just locked up for the whole damn season. Yeah, it's questionable. Jalen Brown at 39. Uh, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with it. You know, I don't, I don't have super strong feelings either way on that one. I think that's pretty damn close, actually, to where we have him on our own board. Yeah, when we were doing the buckets, we had him at 41. So, cool beans on that one. Uh, Jalen Brown, followed by Jonas Valanciunas at 40. Yeah, I mean, that's not that far from where we've got him either. We have him at 42. <laughs> there are spots where Yahoo and our own list come together. John Morant at 41. I will kindly pass. He's going to put up massive numbers, but again, this is this is a rank that is relying a bit more heavily on 8-cat and points leagues because John Morant wasn't really close to sustainable fantasy value last year. He wasn't. He was number 162 by totals. He was worse than that by averages. Decent scoring, decent assists, and that was it. Sub-average in threes, boards, steals, blocks, field goal, free throw, and turnovers. Steals, he was like around league average. He was, he was worse than league average in six out of nine categories. I get it. Scoring and assists might continue to go up for him, and maybe free throws get a little bit better. And he's very exciting. People love exciting, but fantasy? Nah. Rashawn Holmes at 42? That's a fourth rounder I would take a plunge on. Yeah, he misses a few games here and there. Easier Roto sell than head-to-head. He's probably going to miss 10 games at some point this year. But I think his, his totals value is going to be pretty close to his per-game stuff. And last year, that was right around 30. So this creates just a little bit of buffer, a little bit of value. I'd like to see him fall a little farther than that, but I don't expect that he will. Tobias Harris, king of durability, actually missed a few games last year. He's at 43. Also another fourth-rounder I'm perfectly happy taking. Drew Holiday, another fourth-rounder I'm perfectly happy taking. I thought he would go earlier this coming season because he had such a strong campaign. Yes, he missed 13 games, but he was number 23 despite missing those 13. So remember, when we talked about the Bucks, I was like, look, he missed 13 games. They won the finals. He played in the Olympics. 
This dude's going to be gassed. He's going to miss at least 13 games this coming year. On a per-game basis, maybe he does something relatively close to what he did last year, which was top 20. Top 20, miss 15 games. You know, I thought, all right, like mid-30s is probably where he ends up. I thought he would get drafted near there, but here he is getting drafted in the 40s, or at least his pre-rank, I should say, is in the 40s. And uh, his ADP, I believe, is outside 50. Am I, is, that, is that really possible? No, I must just be missing his name. Let me do what we call the uh, second scan with the eyes balls and see if I can figure out why I'm missing his name. Oh, there he is. He's at 43. So his pre-rank and his ADP are actually right there in lockstep. Um, He ends up being a relatively comfortable mid to late fourth round pick that I didn't think was going to slip that far. Same story for the next guy, Brandon Ingram. Pre-rank of 45, uh, ADP of 42. So he's going a little bit earlier than that. Um, He is who he is at this point. Ingram's going to miss a couple of ball games, but not a ton. He missed 11 last year. He's going to score. He'll pass a bit. His, his defensive stats came back down to where they probably should have been the previous year after that weird sort of anomaly steals thing that jumped up. Hit some threes, decent percentages, just quietly productive, top 50, strolling along. There isn't much in the way of, of upside here with Ingram. This is the guy you take in the, in the late fourth if you took a risk in the second or third, and you're like, you know what, I need a late fourth, who's just going to be a late fourth. There you go. That's your guy. Malcolm Brogdon is a late fourth that also kind of fits that mold, although I think more injury-prone than Brandon Ingram. I, I certainly, I'd go Ingram over Brogdon by quite a lot, and it seems like I'm not alone in that regard. Ingram's ADP is 43, Brogdon's is 50 here in the early going. So, uh, again, we'll, we'll, we'll go through the ADP stuff a bit more towards the end of the week. Darren Fox at number 47. This is you believing that he's going to take as many shots all season as he did late last year. I don't think that anybody can really sustain that level of usage all season long. Uh, If you don't have a point guard here, I guess, but I think I'm probably passing on this one. He's dynamic. It's again, that's exciting. He was number 72 last year. And he could get a little bit better from there. Yeah. I got to see the free throw number come up. That's how he jumps the board. Can he jump the board in free throws? You know, I don't generally like to put my eggs in the I need something unexpected to happen department. Clint Capella at 48. Well, that's a freaking refreshing ass spot for Clint Capella. After going 23. uh, Sorry, he was drafted in the 60s last year. Finished at number 21 by totals. The anchor of Atlanta's defense that they're going to need in there as often as humanly possible as they try for a bit more home court. Um, yeah, please. If I can get that dude in the in the fourth or fifth. His ADP is earlier, by the way, than uh, than that. His ADP is, at, is earlier than his pre-rank. I, I, 48 is, seems ridiculously late. Chris Boucher at number 49. You kind of have to hope that Toronto continues to carve out some minutes for him. This is fine. Remember, we talked about it when we were doing our buckets. I don't have the utmost confidence that Boucher is just going to get free reign. I have him actually closer to 60 than 50 because of that fear. Now you're into the fifth round. Really, this to me is still a little bit too soon because you've got some guys left that are just 
so easy to take here. Like the next one, John Collins at number 50. Everybody hated John Collins last year. Um, I get it. I get it. If, if you drafted him, you probably were pretty annoyed because you probably took him at like 24 and he fairly consistently underperformed that mark throughout the season. He finished uh, in the late 40s on a per-game basis, missed nine ball games, which I actually thought was kind of interesting. But look, this is a power forward who's a great foul shooter, 83% last year, 56% from the field, great numbers there, half a block, sorry, half a steal, one block, 18 points, seven and a half rebounds, a three ball, He did a lot of stuff well, quietly, last season. I could see him very easily just coasting right along at that same clip. And if he's durable in any way, he's another guy that, uh, similar to the Brandon Ingram thing, if you took a chance in the third and you want to get Collins late fourth, even early fifth, if something really breaks your way, that's a a no-brainer. All he has to do is play one more game than the league average, and he beats this number almost guaranteed. Like, when I look at John Collins at 50 on the pre-rank board, or wherever he's at in ADP, and we'll talk about that. Well, ADPs will move a little bit quicker, I think, later in the week, because there's going to be a lot of comparative analysis there, and ADPs are going to jump a whole bunch. When I look at Collins around 50, this is a guy who, again, last year beat that on a per-game basis, at 46, he was number 46 per game. And aside from the suspension two seasons ago, he tends to play through stuff. I think Atlanta wants to win. They gave him his money, so everybody's sort of calm and settled. If he plays a league average number of basketball games, he beats this number. If he plays anything beyond that, it's just a big fat win. The I, if well, As I look at Collins at 50, and I want to do this. Remember last season we talked about the blue bar? I said, this is how I visualize things. The blue bar, if you could with me, you can picture it in whatever color you like. You can even draw it on a board. You want it when you're handicapping these players. And Collins, I think, is a great spot for us to just sort of pause and stare at it for a minute. The You want to mark best-case scenario... On, the, on a sliding scale and worst-case scenario on a sliding scale. And for John Collins, the best-case scenario is his per-game numbers improve a little bit. Let's say he gets ever so slightly more usage. I don't know that that's going to happen, but you know, 12.2 shots becomes 13. Now, it's probably not going to move that way much, but maybe a little bit. Best-case scenario is one block per game comes back up to like 1.1 or 1.2. You know, these aren't big things, but they're little things you could see maybe happening. Look at some of the stuff he's done in previous seasons. You know, the, the suspension year, he averaged 1.6 blocks per game in 33 minutes per ball game. Previous year was 0.6. His rookie season was 1.1 in only 24 minutes a game. This year, again, this most recent season, one block in 29 minutes per ball game. Admittedly, playing mostly power forward, whereas he got more stretch five minutes before Clint Capella came to town. So yeah, maybe the blocks don't come back, but they could creep back up to 1.1 or 1.2. You could see 
field goal percent from 56. It could be 57. Little things could break his way. He got 8.7 rebounds a game in the playoffs. He actually played more minutes per game in the playoffs than during the regular season. Worst case scenario for John Collins is injury. Because on the, the, the playing time and the stat stuff, there's really almost nothing that's going to go, that's going to change all that much for him. So put your pins on this sliding scale. In my mind, again, it's a gray bar and then a blue sort of window on, or a gray window and a blue bar on top of it. So worst case scenario is injury. And he misses, what do we think? 20-ish ball games? That probably, with the way we've got him slotted out, puts him in the 75 range by totals at the end of the year. Best case scenario, he doesn't get hurt. Things get a little bit better per game, gets back inside the top 40 per game, and plays like 78 to 80 games out of 82. That is a second rounder. So put your best case scenario at like what DeAndre Ayton did last year, pretty much. Because those two guys were really close in per game stuff, and then Ayton just played... You know, six more games than Collins did. So best case scenario is like 18, 19, 20 range. Worst case scenario is like 75. The midpoint of that, which is the fuzzy math way to calculate this, midpoint of 20 and 75 is, uh, well, 55, 27 and a half. It's about 47 and a half, which is basically where he's getting drafted. Here's the thing. We've talked about this a thousand times too, but to those uninitiated, the difference between players at the top of a draft board is bigger for each individual player than it is as you work your way down the board. Meaning, the gap in value between player 10 and player 20 is much larger than the gap in value between player 60 and player 70. Even though there's only 10 spots in between each of them, it's a bigger 10 at the top of the board. So the midpoint isn't, isn't actually 47.5 on this blue bar. The midpoint, if you're doing it by true value to a fantasy team, you actually have to calculate that against the 75th basically ranked player in fantasy sports. Uh, the midpoint there, if we just go off of last year's numbers, Drew Holiday was the number 20 player on a per-game basis. Doesn't matter what we're looking at here. And uh, number 75 last year was Devin Booker. Um, You're talking about right around rank 40, which doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it's actually a a pretty big difference. So instead of going 27.5-ish slots down the board, you only go 20. I think it's actually number 39 if we really want to dive into it. So the fact that the midpoint now for John Collins is some basically like a full round above where he's getting drafted, this is a really easy way to just say, oh, good. There's a pretty good likelihood that he, I mean, if you just want to call that a 50-50 proposition that something happens on either side of the midpoint, it's a much larger than 50% chance that he's better than the 50 pre-rank we just talked about because that's now 10 spaces behind where we've handicapped his average finishing spot. I think we had him in the like right at the end of the 30s on our buckets. I don't remember. Doesn't matter. We're going to move all those guys around anyway. And that's why I wanted to spend a few extra seconds talking about a guy like Collins at that spot. 
people are like, Dan, how do you come up with the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad? It's a fun name for basically a group of guys that are undervalued because they are good in categories that are underrepresented in fantasy, like the percentages, blocks in particular, sort of steals, I guess, not always, but usually the percentages are the big two for me, dramatically underrepresented in fantasy sports. And when we handicap them out, there's just this much larger than 50% chance that they beat their mark. That's the Dan Vespers old man squad. Yes, we have to do the handicapping. I, I guess, personally have to do the handicapping and then bestow that information onto you guys. But that's why Chris Paul was such a great example of this the last two seasons. He was getting drafted in the mid-30s. And as the, the, the orchestrator, not James Harden, when he's not with another number one guy, when he's the number one, we saw what he did in Los Angeles. So the best case scenario for Chris Paul was like, this guy could be a first rounder on a per game basis if everything breaks the right way. So we did that same gray bar or gray window with a blue bar in it. Okay, Chris Paul's ADP the last couple of seasons. Forget about this year for a second, because again, we just talked about him and he's going a little bit earlier now. The last two seasons, his ADP was like 35 to 40. And when we put the bar up there, we're like, okay, best case scenario, Chris Paul top six. Worst case scenario, injury. You know, second rounder on a per game basis, third rounder on a per game basis, and misses 25 ball games. Yeah, that would have been pretty beat up. That's like, again, kind of that 75 range type of stuff, 75, 80. But then we put the pin down in it, and you realize that because the upper echelon of that is so high, the midpoint of that, I was this nuts, the midpoint of that was actually more like number 20. Because the difference between player number six and player number 20 is the same as the difference between player number 20 and player number 71. And that is why when you handicap it out that way, it's very easy to visualize this is an old man squad guy. He does things that teams, that people don't care about, so he's being artificially pushed down the board into a position where his ADP now doesn't reflect the actual midpoint of his likely outcomes. God, I love getting into that dry, pedantic crap. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. Remember, Hoopball League's now open. Rate and review the pod, subscribe, and let me know if you want to get involved with us here at Hoopball. Again, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Google search Dan from Hoopball. Have a great day. Yahoo. We'll keep rolling tomorrow, Wednesday show. Uh, might even have some guests coming on later this week. We shall see. We'll talk to you then. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.